say, for a lone gunman. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning to you. Three and a half minutes now after eight o'clock. Thank you for joining us here on Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, the growth in China's debt is slowing as the economy cools. That's one of our top headlines for you this morning. The MPF Authority proposes a new fund with low management fees. And Apple may ship a larger phone in September. We'll be featuring those stories and more coming up on Money for Nothing. Uh, the market expectations are that the Federal Reserve will rate, will start to raise short-term interest rates around the middle of 2015. That sounds to me like a reasonable forecast, but, you know, forecasts uh, often go astray, so I wouldn't put too much weight on that particular uh, set, set of forecasts. That's the Fed president of New York, Bill Dudley, saying, if you missed that there, that he wouldn't put too much weight on a mid-2015 rate hike, even though that's what the market is expecting at the moment. And this... New home sales is small and it's not a very reliable number, but existing home sales, which we saw yesterday for May, were also up pretty nicely. And, you know, most of the survey data we see, whether it relates to home builders or to realtors, uh, looks pretty positive right now. That's Michael Faroli, chief economist at J.P. Morgan. Some pretty decent housing news out in the state, so we'll look at that as well. Our guests this morning are Martin Henneke from the Henley Group on the markets. And uh, we'll be speaking with Amy Tang from Gartner on the top 10 technology trends for business growth. And we'll also be looking at the commodities-linked funding scandal in China with Julian Evans Pritchard at Capital Economics, asking whether or not that scandal could develop into something akin to the subprime crisis that hit the United States. In the markets in Australia, the uh, main index there is a little bit lower, down about a tenth of a percent. Also, stocks moving slightly lower in Seoul. And futures have been down all morning in Japan. We will have the uh, cash read for you in a moment. The dollar is trading at 101.92 Japanese yen. Little change there. The euro at 1.3606 U.S. dollars. Oil prices a little bit softer at 114.46 a barrel. And gold is now at $1,320 an ounce, and that is slightly more expensive uh, than yesterday. Okay, let's take a look now at uh, some of our top stories. Mentioned that the Mandatory Provident Fund Schemes Authority has proposed a, a new fund with low management fees. The annual fees and charges would be capped at about 0.75%. The fund would also be designed to automatically reduce investment risk as employees get closer to their retirement. Workers who don't choose their own investment portfolios would be put on the new fund by default, though it would be open to all employees. The authority's chairwoman, Anna Wu, says she believes the move will, will promote competition among fund managers and will drive down the fees and charges of the existing MPF funds. We're not asking trustees or fund managers to go at a loss. The, the incentives are, number one, the pot is going to get bigger. Number two, you can innovate your investment methods to achieve greater efficiency. And we hope to do that by restructuring a product called Core Fund, which will have economy of scale, which will have standardization of product categories within it, 
and which will offer a long-term solution. Labor Party Chairman Lee Chuk Yen has long called for a comprehensive reform of the system. However, he said that while management fees for the proposed fund may be low, that might also mean a low yield in terms of returns for investors. There are no uh, assurance of the investment return. So we, we actually don't know whether the, the performance is really good enough. So I'm really skeptical about this, and I'm really worried about the return uh, of the investment. Lee Chuck Yan. On Wall Street, despite some good economic news, stocks sold off overnight, escalating violence in the Middle East, overshadowing the data. The S&P 500 was down 0.6% at 1949. The Dow slid 119 points to 16,818. The VIX, or the Volatility Index, jumped 10% to 12.13. New U.S. home sales surged to a new six-year high in May, though. Sales increased by 18 All considered pretty good news. Michael Feroli at J.P. Morgan tells Mark Crumpton at Bloomberg that it is essentially a positive development. So I do think we are, you know, finally shaking off that nine-month malaise that has hit the housing market after mortgage rates went up in the summer of last year. And it looks like I think things are back on track for... uh, Pretty good increases in both home sales and and hopefully for housing starts as well. Michael, increasing home prices are hurting affordability for prospective buyers who see the current environment as an ideal time to get into this market. Are they being shut out of this cycle? Well, I think that has been a concern, but actually what we also saw this morning is a moderation in home price gains, at least the data we have through April, which shows that you know, home prices had been increasing very uh, briskly, and it looks like across most measures that we see that has uh, started to cool in the latest data, which I actually think is a good thing. Uh, you know, initially in the cycle, it was good to have house prices pick up and support household balance sheets, but arguably they've been getting a little bit frothy, and so I think some moderation is probably a good thing. Michael Feroli at J.P. Morgan. Well, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which covers 20 major cities, rose 0.2% in April and by 10.8% on an annual basis. Bonds rose slightly, confounding some economists. Uh, The yield on the 10-year Treasury fell three basis points to 2.59%. Just a couple of other quick notes. So we may see a drop in uh, in sterling because uh, policymakers are not offering any sign of support for a rise in interest rates. That uh, the latest uh, data from the Bank of England uh, seemed to contrast with what the Bank of England Governor Mark Carney recently said. The euro strengthened by about a third of a percent against the pound to 80.12. We still see the pound pretty strong against the Hong Kong dollar. Um, the pound here, 13 Hong Kong dollars and 16 cents. That may change a little bit later this morning. Well, our first guest is Martin Henneke, Chief Economist at the Henley Group. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Ryan. So first on on William Dudley's comments, uh, I didn't play too much of them there, but he basically said that although the forecast is for rates to go up in the United States by the middle of next year, it's just a forecast and he wouldn't put too much weight on it. Uh, It seems like it's a pretty dovish Fed at the moment. Well, it's quite tough for them. You know, they said they, they want to phase out quantitative easing and put up interest rates. And what, what that would mean is the debt servicing costs on the, on the U.S. debt will rise. I mean, the debt hasn't um, decreased. We have talked about the, the debt issue for some time. And if they really put up rates, um, that could easily exacerbate the debt burden and bring back a debt crisis. So I don't know if and when they will really 
have the room to increase rates and I would be very interested to see what happens then to markets. And one of the things perhaps at the biggest risk right now and regardless of whether they put up rates you know, a bit sooner or later would be um, the bond markets, high yield bonds. The yield now is not high actually at all. It's it's very low, you know, close to um, historic record lows. But people just like the name of it because it sounds good, high and yield, you know, both really We should cool go back to calling them junk, junk bonds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right. Them. That's a better word actually, yeah. I think. Um, the Fed will no doubt then, given the scenario that you uh, draw, will no doubt have to give us plenty of warning before um, rates start to go up. Now, it may still be a ways down the road, but one would think that they would communicate that very clearly uh, once we get towards the end of the tapering process. Well, I would say the risk is always that you have bond, the so-called bond vigilantes looking at the risks of the US dollar, looking at the inflation risks. And then perhaps um, you could see bond investors also potentially driving up interest rates. So that's that's sort of a reason why we are just um, saying one should be relatively cautious with debt exposure and leverage. And because interest rate, I mean, there is a chance that they could surprise uh, after all if people get nervous, say, about the dollar and, 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 and the inflation risk. And definitely we have seen, you know, for example, the yuan more and more direct trading with other currencies. Uh, some of the emerging markets getting a bit more nervous or shifting some of the um, U.S. dollar reserve. So if there's more pressure on the Fed um, to, to protect the dollar, who, who knows when, when these rates might increase? Here's a conundrum. Perhaps you can answer the question. We know that China is buying fewer U.S. treasuries. Japan is buying fewer U.S. treasuries. And the Fed itself, which has been one of the biggest buyer of treasuries, is on a tapering process to, uh, to, to buy fewer U.S. treasuries. Why are so many people buying treasuries that's driven the yield down? Now, let's see. The yield is at 2.59%. The yield on the uh, 10-year fell three more basis points overnight. Well, the two-year bond yield actually rose a bit um, yesterday, so that was actually the highest since 2011. Um, but generally, you see investors just loving bonds. Okay, that's that's one big issue. You see, even on, in France, the 10-year French government bonds hitting 1.76 percent. Now, um, that that's almost the highest it was in 250 years, and yet France doesn't look very good either. I mean, how is that possible? I think investors really underestimate the risks in bonds. They're looking for everything with yield. All the bond funds they're showing a fantastic past performance, so-called past performance, because interest rates have been falling. But if the environment changes, I mean, we think there's very, very little upside left for capital appreciation. The yield is, is almost the inflation rate, you can say. So we think maybe the bonds may be one of the biggest bubble that you can possibly find. If there's no growth, you're happy to get your one and a half to two percent, I suppose, if you think you'll get paid back the money. So I guess people are buying those bonds because they believe the ECB when it says it will do all it takes. And somehow that seems to take the risk out of it. And and that is feeding through. Those extremely low yields in Europe are also part of the reason why U.S. yields are trending lower because um, there's a nice arbitrage there. Well, I would just say, I mean, the the, the yields are just so low. Um, we don't really think there's any, you know, any point of investing uh, any any notable part of your portfolio in those um, asset classes. Simply, we think the inflation risk is vastly underestimated. The interest rate risk is also generally 
uh, underestimated once it gets underway. And, and people don't always wait for it. You know, I've had um, or I've heard um, a lot of people talk about, well, for the next one or one and a half years, we will be fine in high yield bonds because they would give us this clear signal when interest rates rise. You know, but investors don't always wait for the announcement. Sure. Markets move before. Witness last year when Bernanke spoke uh, in May. Uh, wow, we saw a big move up in bond yields. Um, I think we may have lost every listener listening to the program talking about bond yields for so long. Let me just ask, is there anyone out there? Are you listening? Oh, yeah, there's a few at least. Okay, let's talk about something that might be a little bit more interesting. Hong Kong schizophrenia. You know, what's, what, what is the problem with the Hong Kong stock market? Why are we, why are we struggling so much? Is it China? Is I know you're you're sort of a bull on Chinese developers and on the Chinese authorities getting it right, but isn't that it? Isn't it the fear of China just completely evaporating and blowing up that is the reason that nobody's buying Hong Kong? Well, you, you sometimes see this when something goes up and shows a very nice past performance. People just love to buy it. You've seen that in the China stock market, you know, in 2007 in Shanghai, you know, everybody, mom and pop investors wanted to get in there um, in, in part and uh, um, 50 price to earnings ratios. Then after it fell, people went into the um, real estate market. That, that rose a lot and everybody likes that. But that seems to be cooling now in China. And a lot of people tell me, well, if, the, if there's a problem in the property market in China, why would you own stocks? Because obviously stocks will also fall if the property market falls. But actually, you know, stocks have already crashed. Well, stocks already, already fell fall. 65% yeah. over the last five years in Shanghai, whereas property market uh, during the same time period soared. So we think relatively speaking that the equity market is really great value and the property market doesn't have to crash either so um well we think we think um it's one of the best places in the global equity markets to be invested in maybe just to round up the picture in terms of equity would, would markets. you would you buy the 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 chinese equity or would you buy the bonds on some of these developers um you know they've fallen a lot too Equities. We we generally prefer okay. equities because because bond yields globally, whether it's in China or anywhere, aren't really that attractive. Bonds are far too popular. Equities aren't popular enough. Even in some of the other most attractive countries right now, like Russia, bond yields nothing special. But equity prices still are very very good. And one other market also that I would like to highlight very briefly: Russia. Is South Korea. Oh, South Korea. Apart from Russia, okay. South Korean preferred sh- shares also very good value right now. Okay, let me ask you about um, this MPF action here in Hong Kong. Uh, the idea of coming up with uh, some funds that uh, are core funds, uh, they would most likely be, um, you know, very low volatility index link, perhaps, but with very low fees. Is that good for the Hong Kong uh, citizen? Well, I would generally say it's good to have some low low cost choices because not in all plans you always have a choice where funds are outperforming their benchmarks. So I think that's a good development. If I may make one suggestion, though, to them uh, of, of something else I should include uh, as at least one option in all of the plans that would be a physical gold fund. Why there isn't any physical gold fund? It's also a great inflation hedge, can help protect against the market. But right now you have only got bonds and stocks. No, not other any choices that are not so related to the global economy. And is it wise for them to have this default position thing that if people don't want to make a selection they'll go into this well i i don't actually know which particular product now was discussed and what what precise fund that is so i i wouldn't be able to comment uh well it's being proposed at the moment Uh, okay let's just wrap things up um you know as we as we go out um you mentioned gold you mentioned chinese developers and a few other things what would your what would your single best investment idea be going forward 
Well, still gold and silver, we think, are absolutely great prices, uh, although in the equities also, as mentioned, some of the markets most overlooked and most attractive, we think, are China and South Korea and uh, Russia. But one other thing, this rehypothecation issue in China uh, that yes. you're going to talk shortly about, yes. I think that may also be a positive, actually, for gold and silver, because more and more people are questioning, has there been some fraud in terms of commodities, too many receipts issued for the same type of commodity, and that's a big thing in terms of the gold investigation, manipulation, and also that there may be a lot more paper gold around than physical gold. And and that's maybe also one thing that has been driving up the gold price a little bit again recently. So anyway, we think great, great value right now to buy. All right, Martin, thank you very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Thank you. That's Martin Henneke, Chief Economist at the Henley Group. This is Money for Nothing. The time is 19 minutes after 8. Nice to have you with us here on Radio 3. A new report from research firm Gartner identifies the top 10 technology trends that chief investment officers in China should consider. And these are important for the officers uh, to be considering for business growth and competitiveness. And joining us on the line is Amy Tang, principal research analyst at Gartner, to walk us through some of these trends. Amy, good morning. Morning. Yeah, some of these um, some of these trends uh, that you mentioned are quite sexy and quite interesting, like three D printing, uh, the Internet of Things, and of course mobile apps and and applications. Uh, give me a little bit of uh, of a backdrop on why these trends matter so much. Okay, uh, this trend is about physical technologies that. Uh we see these trends would have a potential to cause a significant impact on the enterprise in the next three years. These trends are matters because their impact could be a high potential to disrupt IT or business, or is a need for a major financial investment, or it is a risk of being late to adopt. Or many... So, uh, go ahead. This can be the technologies that uh, matured and has a wide uh, suitable vendors can adopt. Or it can be a combination of many technologies that change the way we do business today. And it is also an emerging technology that you said, the 3D printers, that offers opportunities for strategic business advantages and potential for the significant market disruptions in the next few years. Are these global trends or are these mainly trends that you see impacting China? Okay. Most of these are quite in line with the global trends, but we found in China there are some particular differences compared with the Western world. Okay, let me just mention these 10 so that people know. Um, So we mentioned 3D printing, but there's web-scale IT, software-defined anything, the era of the personal cloud, and uh, also cloud client architecture, as well as hybrid cloud and IT as a service broker. Now, these are kind of technical. You may have to explain some of these. Uh, The Internet of Everything, social commerce, mobile apps and applications, which I mentioned earlier, and mobile device diversity and management. What does that mean, mobile device diversity and management? Okay. Uh, 
talked about these trends for the better thinkers. Today, we live in a new world of digital business processes in the emergence of more and more digital business models where technologies are embedded increasingly across everything we do in business and, quite frankly, in most of what we do as human beings in society as well. So the technology trends itself uh, that we identified, the top 10, talk about itself uh, involving based on the whole notion of Ghana's nexus of force, that is social, mobile, cloud, and information. But it's just not about these four items. Uh, but we look at them how come together. Yeah. So we don't have social or information as individual line items. Okay. Amy, um, it sounds like you're on a speakerphone. We don't have a very good line. So I think I'm going to say goodbye to you now. And let's do this again when we can get you on a more proper line. And we'll, we'll take this forward, uh, you know, sometime uh, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, many thanks for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Amy Tang, Principal Research Analyst at Gartner, and apologize for the quality of that uh, connection. Uh, perhaps she was on a speakerphone or just a mobile phone with a very bad connection. The time is now 24 minutes after 8 o'clock. Well, property consultancy firm Knight Frank says it expects the price of residential flats in Hong Kong to fall between 3 and 5% in the second half of the year. Its head of valuation and consultancy, uh, Thomas Lamb, says the increasing supply of first-hand flats will help to push prices down, especially in the new territories. There's about 15,000 units that could be available for sales for the second half this year. So you, you will see there's a launch of future supply in the second half this year. So what we expect is this may impact, impact the property price, especially for those uh, uh, like uh, in the new territories. Hong Kong Island, the future supply is only about for this year, the rest of this year is only 1,500 units. That's account for only 10% of the total future supply. But in the new territories, it's account for mere 75%. The latest fixing rate on the RMB 6.154. And again, just looking at markets uh, this morning, they're trending a little bit lower across the region. Well, will the commodity-linked funding scandal in China turn into something akin to America's subprime crisis? A Chinese trading company may have illegally pledged metals as collateral to more than one lender. The operator of Qingdao Port, the eastern Chinese port where the metals are stored, has confirmed that the Chinese authorities are investigating this story. Joining us is Julian Evans Pritchard, who's China economist at Capital Economics. And Julian, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, so what do you make of that? Um, something akin to the subprime crisis. Bit of an overstatement, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's probably an overstatement. Obviously, I mean, there is the potential for a significant impact. Um, you know, copper uh, stocks at bonded warehouses in China are about are estimated to be about 800,000 tons, so that's about 3% of uh, global supply. So obviously, if there is a disorderly unwinding of those stocks um, onto the market, then that will have a significant impact on um, the copper price. But um, so far, we haven't seen that. I mean, I think there's actually been quite a lot of relief in the copper markets that um, perhaps uh, things are not as worse, as, uh, as bad as many people feared. Um, when they first launched the investigation. I mean, there's been some isolated cases. We've seen uh, Citic Resources um, has run into some trouble with these financing deals. Um, but overall, we haven't had any sort of 
revelation that would suggest that, you know, this is very widespread. And is it the type of thing that if it is a little bit more widespread uh, that the authorities could contain in some way? Well, um, obviously, the authorities are trying to crack down on, on this sort of thing. Um, uh, a lot of these uh, deals were used as a way to sort of uh, arbitrage the interest rate differential between China and offshore interest rates. Um, so borrowing, uh, using copper as collateral in the offshore market to borrow and then investing that in uh, shadow banking in China. Um, and obviously the, the government is trying to crack down on the shadow banking sector. Um, so it is looking to curtail these kind of deals. But on the other side, I mean, they're not going to uh, put an end to all kind of commodity financing. Um, I mean, it has legitimate uses as well. Um, so I think what, what we're going to see is we're just going to see a lot more scrutiny by banks uh, when they lend to these kind of metal traders. And I think a lot of the smaller players um, will struggle to, to get financing. Um, and they may be forced to release some of their, their stockpiles onto the market. And that will put downwards pressure on the, on the copper price. Um, but overall, um, it's probably not as big as a lot of people have uh, made it out to be. Why is it different than in other places where a bonded warehouse, um, you know, obviously is is guarded and tracked very closely so that uh, if you have the papers that you are storing, let's say 50 tons of copper there, uh, that it's legit? Well, I mean, there's obviously, um, I mean, I don't know the exact details of how these things are managed, but there's obviously been, uh, you know, um, they obviously need to improve the scrutiny uh, at Qingdao Port for these kind of warehouses. And I think um, a lot of the lenders are now becoming more aware of that. Um, and probably we will see uh, a more transparent system for these kind of warehouses in the future. Um, and I, I don't think that, I think that, you know, it'll be harder for, for a lot of these firms to, to do what they've been doing and, and use uh, collateral for multiple loans. Um, I expect that sort of thing will, will be uh, cracked down on. Are the banks themselves and other financial institutions rehypothecating a lot of this stuff? Well, um, I mean, uh, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, they, they, they're not going to – a lot of the banks have said that they're cutting back on, on their lending, um, in, you know, to metal firms. Um, but I think that in many cases they'll, they'll continue to, uh, to lend to the large players um, who, you know, who can legitimately show that they – they own the stocks. So as you mentioned, this is all part of the shadow banking industry. Uh, how do you feel overall about the efforts being made by authorities now to address the concerns and to uh, rein it in some of the excesses? I mentioned overnight that we've seen uh, debt, overall debt, starting to, to, to drop now in, in China. That must be uh, you know, part of that process. Yeah, and that's a very welcome, uh, welcome fact. Um, they have been making some progress. Um, that's especially uh, visible in the uh, trust issuances, which have fallen markedly. Um, and a lot of that reflects the fact that, that they've uh, introduced tougher regulations on the interbank market. Um, and a lot of these smaller banks were using um, interbank loans to, to fund, to, to create trust products. So um, we have seen a lot of progress um, on reducing credit growth, but it's still growing at a, at a very unsustainable rate, almost double the rate of uh, output. Okay. Um, so we'd, we'd like to see uh, credit growth come down further. Um, and but we just have to very... accept uh, slower growth with it, I suppose. Uh, 
So. Yes, well, one option, and, and this is what the government has been effectively doing. Is short, that keep it short, because we're almost out of time. Sure. Um, they've been stepping up fiscal spending uh, to offset some of this uh, slow, slower credit growth. Yeah. Um, and that sort of helped, and we've seen, you know, we've seen the stronger figure coming out this month uh, with a flash PMI. So that's obviously helping, and, and that's also helping uh, to boost the copper market as well. Uh, 60% of uh, copper consumption is on infrastructure and housing, and obviously the property market is weak, but uh, on the infrastructure side, we've seen a rebound recently, um, so that's helping as well. Okay. Um, All right, Julian, that's the music there, accepting the award and exiting the stage. Thank you very much. Julian Everts Pritchard, giant economist at Capital Economics. Markets are a bit lower this morning, but really not too sexy. Not much to tell you about. Just a couple of points here and a couple of points there. So the weather for Hong Kong today, uh, showers associated with low pressure kind of affecting us. So cloudy skies with showers. Showers heavy at times and a few thunderstorms uh, to boot. Maximum temperature about 31 today. The outlook, the weather to improve gradually. It's going to be very hot in the next few days. The news with Samantha Butler. The U.S. Defense Department says 130 American military advisors are now in Iraq to help the government in its fight against Sunni militants. Over the next few days, additional troops from the region will be flown in to bring the total to around 300 soldiers. Rear Admiral John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, explained the